Welcome to the Mindset Hackers Podcast, where we will discuss topics that will help you level up both personally and professionally. If you haven't subscribed, please do so now so that you never miss an episode. Now, let's get going. What is up, Mindset Hackers? Thank you so much for joining us here today. We've got another amazing episode, and I've got an incredible guest with me. Her name is Hannah Donji. She is a good friend of mine. She is a former Wall Street lawyer with an incredible life, uh, incredible history of amazing stories and experiences, but she left Wall Street, and now she's an executive coach. I am so excited to catch up with her. We've got so much to talk about. We are extreme, both extremely passionate about mindset and personal development and money mindset, abundance mindset. We could go on and on. So we decided to hit the record button and bring you a very special episode. Anna, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well, Simon, and I'm so glad to be here with all the mindset hackers. I know that there's a lot to talk about, but um, today I was thinking we could look at both money mindset and the importance of letting go of control over how that money finds us. Um, and I've got some really cool ideas around that. Oh, I'm so excited. That is something that is is so passionate to me because I've had my days where I was chasing and I feel like surrender and trusting the universe and trusting yourself, you know, the way I like to describe it is, you know, a lot of times we're trying to grasp on and some of the people I see that have a lot of money who are not very abundant, they're always trying to control things and they're always trying to clutch onto it to hoard, to grasp. And the way I like to describe it is like when you open up your hand, you have more to receive, but when you're always grasping on, it's harder to do that, right? You go into scarcity mode, your mindset completely changes, your energy level, your frequency is completely different than when you surrender. But tell me a little bit more about why this topic, like what's been on your mind lately? Let's jump into this. I have seen so many of my executive clients, um, women and men alike um, of all ages, all backgrounds, um, get into a place where they, they're spinning their wheels and They've described it as, as if they were running on a treadmill whose speed increases every time they get tired. So as they get more tired, the speed seems to pick up a little more tired, a little faster, a little more tired, a little faster. That gap at some point becomes so wide, they spin off the machine. And in reality, what that looks like is burnout, is a health issue, is a massive career change um, you know, that is underselling their value, or they're, you know, they just start to slow down in their jobs and they lose out on those promotions that they were, had been working so hard for. So they often come to me and they say, listen, I thought I had it, I had the game figured out. You know, you push and you push and you push. And at some point it's just supposed to all fall into place. And I say, no, what you have done is taken on more than your share of what is supposed to happen in the co-creative process of wealth building. And they look at me and they say, who am I creating with? What do you mean co-creation? I said, the universe. Oh, yes. If you, yes. It's like the crappy roommate. Like if you do all of the cooking and all of the cleaning, why would the roommate ever come in to help? You've done it all. You've taken on way too much. <laughs> right. How arrogant of us to think that we're just doing this. Who has success doing it all alone? And I love that you brought up the treadmill because I always talk about the dopamine treadmill. And people end up getting that dopamine rush of chasing but they're missing out on that serotonin release of gratitude and being present. And then, like you said, they get on that treadmill and start running and running and it's never enough. And yeah. it's so interesting because abundance is so 
completely different than an amount of money or a title. And people end up chasing on that treadmill and they get that fix. But just like any other drug, it wears off. And then they get, you know, they keep getting tempted for more and more, but it gives them a temporary fix, but never keeps them satiated. What's interesting about this, and, and, and this is what I tell all of my clients as well, the habits that they have cultivated to even get on that treadmill, they're not, they're not negative traits. It's just misplaced. There are points whenever you're trying to achieve a vision, you have to get clear, first of all, on the vision. And that's what a lot of my coaching is about. But I'm also part, I participate in the execution planning as well. And what I've noticed is that there's an important balance that you have to strike. Each vision that you eventually want to create comes with a series of milestones along the way. Think of it almost like a straight line with little markers, like round circles. Sure. Just like yeah. running on a trail, like if you're doing an ultra marathon, the each mile mark or five mile mark, right? You got it. You got okay. the mile markers. So you do need the push masculine energy, um, blind blinders on, focus straight on the trail ahead and get to the next mile marker. That push energy is what they exhibit. And that's totally fine until you hit the mile marker. Once you get to the mile marker, that's when you have to pause and open back up to receive new input, new information, new resources. Take a step back and breathe. This could be you know, taking a weekend off. It could be just met going deeper into a meditation. It could be going on vacation. But that's when you have to allow the universe now to pour in new resources. Maybe it's a conversation you have, somebody you meet on the train to work. Maybe it's a new idea that pops into your head. But it's only when you allow yourself to step back and receive, take the blinders off and see the field again, that you can plan for the next, the next sort of um, track between this mile marker one and mile marker two. Then you execute again based on the new information and the new resources, and you get to mile marker two even faster. Then you take a step back, slow down, and open up again. Now, there's a critical error in thinking that a lot of executives or professionals or entrepreneurs will even make. If I stop running, if I slow down, I will quote unquote, lose momentum or I will fall behind. Neither of those are true. They used to say this to me on math tests because I would try and gun it until the end. And they'd be like, if you had just slowed down, you would have seen that you could have done this and you would have gotten extra marks. If you slow down, you will actually speed up. That's so true in so many areas. You think about muscles and recovery, like in actual exercise, like the gains aren't made when you're working out. The gains are made when you take time off and you recover. Same with your mind. Like when you do a ton of learning and stuff and, you know, the acetylcholine in your, in your brain, the, the chemical that helps solidify uh, neuroplasticity, it happens when you're taking some downtime. So what you're saying makes absolute sense. Let's talk a little bit more about blinders because I, uh, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, I did a training with my sales team yesterday and I was teaching them about mindset and I was, and I don't know if this is the same thing you're talking about, but I'm sure you could speak to this either way, but I was talking about the reticular activating system and how that is the part of your brain that helps, that delivers information to you that it, you know, your subconscious is always absorbing so much information and your reticular activating system is what delegates what's, it's kind of like a search function on Google. And, you know, it, it works on your behalf and sometimes it makes assumptions about what is important to you. And I think it's so, you know, like when we, when we have a, a gratitude practice, or if we're focused on the negative things, if we tune into, you know, politics or the news, then it, 
you know, gives us confirmation of what it thinks that we want to hear. So for me, it's like, you know, how do we tune in our reticular activating system? But when you're talking about blinders and new information, tell me more about that. Is it similar to what I just described or is it, or is it, it different to them? Okay. So I think what I relate to what you describe is this idea that we can, our brains will focus on and process what it thinks is relevant to our survival. And that one of the more, biggest markers of intelligence is the ability to recognize what is signal and what is noise, what is relevant to your ability to function in a more adaptive way, and what is simply just extra information. Being able to parse that out quickly either allows you to pivot faster than the competition and thereby get a competitive edge, or it'll mean that you fall, you fall behind because you're so distracted, not able to pick apart what's signal and what's noise. Um, I think the, the blinders that I talk about do relate somewhat but it's this idea that we don't yet know what we need in order to achieve our goals. In, I always ask my clients, and, and I do this myself, I create a vision that makes no sense based on my current situation. So if I'm in a place where like, you know, I, I, I'm not working with clients, I've taken a, you know, a six month leave, or you know, I um, decided I just wanna pick up and move somewhere and I don't know anybody, I'll create a vision of being like a leader in the community of having, you know, wealth and abundance around me, of having a wonderful group of friends around, of having, um, you know, abundance of opportunities, and yet I'll have no idea how I get there. It is not my job to know. It is my job to be extremely clear in what I want, and then to be open to receiving information. I don't know, and it is important at this point to suspend your value judgment around what's relevant and what isn't. Just absorb everything that comes in and trust that the universe will draw and turn your attention to what it is you need to know. And I have a little key on how to do this. If something shows up more than once in a 24 hour period or within a very short space of time, that is a signal from the universe to pay attention. Earlier this evening, before we hit record, you mentioned, hey, have you heard about the author of The Untethered Soul? He wrote The Surrender Experiment. That book title has now been mentioned twice in the last 48 hours. I haven't read it yet, but guess what I'm gonna do as soon as we're done? Well, the universe just gave you a signal, right? <laughs> exactly. It's so funny because like when you get your ass kicked by the, like if things aren't going well in your life, that's kind of like a sign there too, right? I always think about like the universe will tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, mm -hmm. I need to pivot. And then like, if you don't wake up, then give you a smack across the head. And if you still don't listen, you're going to get bumped. And, and so like, I yeah, and I always feel like the, like if we slow down and this kind of goes into what you're talking about, about slowing down, you know, you hit the mile marker and then rest for a minute and then listen, because there are clues. The universe will leave clues for you. It will tap you on the shoulder. It will put resources in front of you. And I love what you said about just like, who am I to like decide how this is going to go down? I actually did a goal setting workshop with one of my um, groups that I coach and I was given a five-step process and the last part was, you know, have a detailed plan of action. But I told them, you know, like write down multiple pathways because in my experience, some of the greatest things that I manifested came in a way that I didn't expect, which is, that is what really excites me. And it also gives you like courage to step into, to walk through doors 
that you don't know what's on the other side. Instead of fearing that, just trusting that like things will fall into place. And that also goes back into surrender, but we don't necessarily need to know the exact route and things unfold in different ways. Just like if you were going on a road trip to, you know, from where you're at to where I'm at, there's 2,500 miles between us and there could be detours and you may take a different route than you originally planned. And that's totally okay. Exactly what you talk about, um, having a curiosity and a Mm -hmm. genuine childlike curiosity for life is what brings a situation that is otherwise fearful and unknown into a space of creativity and play. I don't know what's behind that door, but instead of fearing it, what if it could be the next new resource or set of information I need to achieve my goal? What if it helps me grow? What if it opens new ways to appreciate and experience gratitude and to experience you know, happiness on a deeper level beyond the accumulation of wealth, which is what so many people focus on? It also, it's interesting, had the path been so clearly laid out for us, A, I'd be bored as anything. I would not want to read that book. It'd be like finding out the ending before we start. But also, I think we underestimate how much we actually build up courage for the next step. If you were to tell me five years ago, Hannah, one day you'll run your own company and you'll be an entrepreneur, I would have been terrified. You know, I was at the start of my MBA program, like I wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life. But we accumulate new wisdom, new resilience, and new strength along the way. So it's almost better not to know ahead of time how things are going to unfold. Because from where you're sitting, you may not know how strong you'll be once you get there to take that on. Well, and on top of that, like what I found is most things we worry about (laughs) don't end (laughs) up happening anyways. So that's a lot of like expenditure of energy, right? Like if we're so many people are always overthinking, you're always worried, always stressed about things that, yeah, it's a possibility, but most likely it won't happen. But the amount of time and the amount of energy that is spent using your most power consuming organ in your body, it just, you know, you can take that energy and redirect it in the right place by just trusting On top of that, the frequency of that childlike energy that you talked about, that is powerful. That puts you in alignment and that gets you out of that scarcity mode. I want to ask you this, though, before we go too far down this rabbit hole, um, you're talking about the treadmill that a lot of CEOs and executives are, are on. And I know your backstory a little bit. And I know that you at one point went down a path as a lawyer it, you know, excite, I'm sure that was really exciting to think about Wall Street, being a lawyer in a very powerful city. And I know some of the cities that you've been in, but, you know, before we go on, can you talk for a minute about your backstory? Absolutely. Yeah. So I graduated from, totally. I, the only reason I can coach now, the, the cohort of, of professionals, executives, entrepreneurs that I coach is because I walk through the trenches. And I, I made all of the assumptions about what a shiny, glossy career on Wall Street could be. Um, so I did my joint MBA in law degree at the University of Toronto and was one of the fortunate Canadians to be recruited uh, or uh, picked up by one of those top three Wall Street corporate law firms. I thought literally at that point that I had made it. You know, the dream of coming from very humble means as a child, working my way up, out competing all of my classmates and getting into that, like, prestigious position sitting next to, you know, graduates of Harvard Law School and Yale Law School and, you know, head to head with them and being in the same firm. Yeah, like that to me was vindication and a sense that I had quote unquote finally made it. 
what I realized both in New York and in the London office that I went to, and then in Dubai where I worked as a lawyer as well, is that no matter the location, no matter the firm, no matter the practice area, if every single day starts to burn you out because you aren't leveraging the empathy, the compassion, the other skills that you were born to sort of express, you will get depleted in a way that you won't recover from if you stay in it for too long. You can only think your way through so many things before your heart has to take over and regain the compass. And I realized I was not listening to my heart, that this was not what I was meant to be doing. And so what's interesting is that I actually got quite sick. Um, I, I came down with shingles. That to me was when I first started to get stress, um, feel stressed out and feel you know burnt out. I wasn't listening, that little tap on the shoulder. And then you know I'd come down with a really bad cold and start to get chronic headaches. Another sort of gentle slap across the face. When I didn't listen to that, I literally had my immune system start to shut down. And that was the wake up call for me. This is not what my body, my soul, my heart are meant to be doing. I'm meant to be of service. And so you will get woken up, but you get to choose whether it's with a bucket of cold water being dumped on you or a gentle sort of song in the morning. Right. It's so interesting because you hear sometimes like when you're younger, you hear like, money isn't the same, you know, money doesn't equal happiness, you know, and like titles and all that. And you still, it's, it's almost like for a lot of us, we kind of have to go through that journey to actually experience it. Cause I just, I remember, you know, like a lot of us tie like success, we think of success as monetary success. And I know a lot of very wealthy people that are so bankrupt in happiness. And I do think that like, I believe in money and happiness can coexist together, but you've got to, they've got to be, you know, they're, they're, you know, separate. There's some overlap, but it's just so interesting to hear what you're saying because it's, if it, it, I hear that story a lot and I've experienced it to an extent, not with like titles or career, but with, with money myself, I remember I used to chase too. And now like money and I, we, I think we're, we're really good friends. We're good partners, but it's a completely different relationship than I had before. And I, I feel like money is an extension of the value that I bring to the world. But then also what you said about, um, you know, it not being in alignment with your heart and there, you can't really escape that. That will put you out of alignment and put you into emotional suffering. And a lot of times what you described physical suffering as well, right? Yeah. I, one of the things that I always come back to are what I call the five pillars of momentum. Um, and these are mental, emotional, physical, financial, and spiritual. And all five have to be nurtured, regardless of what career path you choose, regardless of what lifestyle you have. Unless you are nurturing each of these five umbrellas or buckets simultaneously, um, you will find that things become quickly unsustainable. So what do I mean by that? Let's take my example as a corporate lawyer. Financially, I was doing fine. And physically, I was going to the gym. I hired a personal trainer. That was okay. But emotionally, I was clearly suffering because my heart wasn't in it. What that started to do was to create physical ailments. The physical ailments caused me to miss time at work, which affected financials. And when I was financially not doing well, obviously that those issues in my body meant that, you know, Emotionally, I was getting continuously drained. And even spiritually, I was starting to feel like giving up. But, and so that's what I call the vicious cycle. But you can also create a virtuous cycle. 
So every morning I wake up and I say a prayer of gratitude. That attunes me to a higher vibrational frequency. And then I go to the gym and I feel energized, which creates a new mental headspace that I'm in. And that mental headspace allows me to feel emotionally charged. And that emotional charge fulfills me financially because I'm attracting new clients and able to serve them. So it creates this reverse domino where everything starts to go upward. Yes, the and upwards. You can go in an upward spiral or a downward, downward spiral. Okay, I've got a couple of questions for you. Uh, let's talk a little bit about being able to drive results to, you know, think big, to manifest like very large things in our life from, you know, like when, when we used to play small without pushing too hard and allowing that to surrender. It was interesting because on a separate call that I did, uh, I was doing a group coaching with uh, some sales people and I was talking about the power of gratitude and I had someone say to me, well, yeah, I mean, where's the line where you can be, you know, grateful versus you still want to push. And it was, it was kind of like uh, a conditional, like, should it be one or the other? And I'm all about, and, and I, the way that I heard that, I was just like, I don't understand why those two would even conflict in the first place. Like gratitude being, you know, cause he, I think he was, he was um, describing it in the context of like, if I'm grateful, then that means that I'm content and it's okay. And that's going to take away from me, you know, going after these, the accomplishment part. But I was like, to me and in my life, they coexist and they, I think they help each other. And I have my theories about dopamine, serotonin, the relationship between those two and how powerful they can be when they do coexist. But what's your take? Because you mentioned that before we hit the record button, you talked about, uh, you know, being able to push, to drive, to create, but also surrender and trust the universe. Talk yeah. about that for a minute. So I always think about this in terms of almost masculine, feminine energy. That doesn't mean male or female. Just masculine and feminine energy are just two ways of attracting abundance. The way I sort of analogize this is imagine going spear hunting for fish. You can put a lot of energy into running, chasing, throwing the spear and aggressively sort of like hammering down and capturing the fish that way. Or, and that would be masculine energy, the go, attack, achieve, chase. Or you can create a bait system where you lure the fish into a shallow little pool and then scoop them right up. And that attraction, that expansion of self and the energetic attraction to you makes it effortless. You come home with just as much, if not more, but you've surrendered and allowed something to enter into your life by creating space for it and then being patient with it. It doesn't mean you're complacent. It doesn't mean you're not doing anything. It's a different strategic approach. Gratitude to me is about being in a state of acceptance of what the co-creative universal energy brings to you once you have aligned yourself with either a healthy masculine or a healthy feminine approach to abundance. You always need a balance. Gratitude is about, I accept what the universe brings me. And if it's one fish today, I know that it's for my benefit. If it's a hundred fish today, I know it's for my benefit. It's, it's actually the humility that you have to have to know that you don't know why it was one fish one day and a hundred the next, but all of it is working in your favor. You may not know how, but it is all working in your favor. Yeah. I, I love that because one of my favorite mantras is I don't chase, I attract. And then on, on top of that, we talked about having your blinders on 
And if you are always like with the spear, always trying to hammer down on things and not even, you know, realizing there's other ways to attract, that's having your blinders on. And it kind of reminds me of like the story about the monkey where there's like um, a banana inside of a cage and they can put their hand in it and grab the banana, but they can't pull it on out because they're gripping too hard rather than, you know, letting go and pulling it out. They've like got the fist, the grip on it. And it's just so interesting. I love that. Okay. Here's my other question for you. I want you to tell me and my audience, what is NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming? Because I, you know, I was a fan of Tony Robbins when I was in my 20s. He always talked about uh, Bandler and Grindler. I don't remember the two guys who started that. He'd always talk about NLP, but I never really got a clear understanding. But, you know, Tony Robbins was certainly a very influential in my life. And I feel like I know you know, at least it is early practices and I'm sure there's a lot of correlation. So I just don't know how to describe it. And I know that you have done extensive NLP work and it's part of your coaching as well. So break that down so I can understand neuro-linguistic programming. Perfect. So let's break down even the words themselves. Neuro, relating to the brain and how it's mapped. Linguistic, how our brain is wired, is shown and reflected through the language we use. And programming, we can actually change the wiring and the mapping of our brain based on how we communicate through language. So in other words, um, let's take something, a concept in NLP called the internal representation system. There are four types of learning modules or learning sort of representation systems that each of us will use from time to time, but one that we each have that is dominant. There's the visual internal representation system, the auditory, the kinesthetic, and the digital, the auditory digital, they call it. Each of us maps our experiences and our understanding of the world in one of these four predominant ways. So a visual person, for example, will walk into an art gallery, look around and absorb the information like a snapshot. It's like the person who can read things on a page and remember it. Whereas the auditory person understands and maps the world based on what they hear. So that's why you'll notice sometimes children in class will be writing things down, but when you speak, instead of looking at you, they'll do this, they'll turn to the side. It's because their ear is toward you. It's not that they're bored or they're not paying attention. This is how they learn through listening and why some people use audiobooks instead of reading. The kinesthetic person needs to be able to feel things, to touch it in order to understand it. And the auditory digital person needs things to be done in almost a sequence-like fashion almost like computer style. So if you're thinking of building an Ikea table, the visual person wants, doesn't want to read the manual, they just want to look at the photos of how it should look, the pictures. The auditory person throws the manual at you and says, read it out to me, I don't want to read this, just tell me what it is. The kinesthetic person says, don't give me that manual, I'm just going to look at all the pieces and figure it out based on, you know, trying to put things together. And the auditory digital person will literally be like, okay, Let's put screw A in, in pile one, screw B in pile two, leg number three in pile C, very sequential in the way they do it. What it means is that the way that they communicate, you can tell what their visual or their internal representation system is based on the language they use. So someone who is predominantly visual will say, take a look at this. Do you see what I am saying? How does this look to you? You know that they're visual dominant. If they are auditory, they might say, how does that sound to you? Or listen to this. Someone who's kinesthetic might say, what do you, how does that feel to you? 
or does we should touch base later? It's very, very feeling language. And somebody who's auditory digital might say, does that make sense? Does that sound like it's in the right order? You know, does, uh, how do you think about that? And so I can tell right away how you process information based on these cue, these, these verbal cues. And I can also persuade and influence and reprogram you by using your dominant system when I speak to you. So if I'm trying to sell you something or I'm trying to make a point and I know your visual, I'll say, why don't we take a look at this together? Do you see how this maps out? Can you picture how this would look if we did this? And suddenly you're tapping into my words in a completely different way that resonates with you than if I were to have used auditory language with you. That's deep. I, um, what do you think I am? Ooh, um, I think you're a combination probably of two things. I know you're auditory. I know that for you, dialogue matters a lot. You absorb information through reading, but talking things out sparks something else in you. You need that dialogue in order for that creative process to go. Um, from what I've also seen, you're also a very physical person. You're also somebody who likes to, to process the world through touch, through interaction, through shaking a hand, through um, holding things, through you know getting physical at the gym. And so I wouldn't be surprised if there's that kinesthetic side to you as well. Um, definitely I, I, mean, I love that because you <laughs> that was so cool how you broke that down with the IKEA. Because I'm like thinking about how every Christmas my wife will have some nice IKEA projects for me to build. And I'm just like, fuck. And I'm like, don't have the patience to read the manual. I'm just like, let me try to figure this out. And then I'll miss a step and I'll just be like, why didn't I read the manual? But the funny thing is, is I'm really big into Phil. Like I, uh, and and when I when I talk about that, I mean like the emotion, the fee, the internal feeling. I think that's a huge part of manifestation. Is that's just like the, yeah, the feeling that like I, I I'm really big on setting intention and then experiencing the emotion and the feeling ahead of the event. I love how Joe Dispenza, Doctor Joe Dispenza, describes. You know, it's like casting a line out into the quantum field with intention and reeling that back with the elevated emotion. Let's talk about that for a sec. Okay, what are elevated emotions and what does that signify and how does that relate to manifestation? Absolutely. So I always like to, to talk about it in the sense, um, if I were to just create a visual image for somebody, close your eyes and imagine a beautiful future self in which you're happy, free and healthy, living in a gorgeous house, you know, you have loving friends around you. Um, that visual will only ever stay in the conscious mind until you add an emotion to it. At that point, it starts to use the language of the subconscious. Emotions are how the conscious mind links up to the subconscious. And depending on the frequency of the emotion, so if it's a negative emotion, a heavy one, anger, sadness, fear, guilt, shame, that will drag things down to that level. But when you are visualizing something you want, you want to attach to it a moment of elation, a feeling of gratitude, high vibrational frequency emotions. So when you cast something out and reel it in at a higher frequency, you are creating a natural gravitational bond between that image of what you want and the actual thing coming into reality. And you're rooting it at the subconscious level where emotion is the primary driver. I love that. I have been so geeking out on that lately. And it just, it feels like, it feels like I, it, people always talk about like, I come in with high energy and it, to an extent, it, you know, that's, 
part of my personality, but I really focus on that. Like I really try to get myself into a high frequency every morning. I mean, that's part of my uh, routine. Part of my morning routine is to, to feel like I'm hitting the day with absolute momentum. Okay. So, um, here's what I would love for you to do. Let's do a two minute coaching session, maybe three minutes with my, um, audience about the treadmill. So, I would love to hear from you, like one or two things that somebody can do. If like, it, you know, one of the listeners is out there and they're like, oh my God, they're right. I'm on the dopamine treadmill. I'm running, I chase. And I, cause I think this applies to so many people, especially in this hustle and grind culture, right? We're, you hear a lot of the people, a lot of the thought leaders and influencers in the entrepreneurship realm, like you got to hustle, you got to grind. I reject that. Like, I, but even with, with me, I've got to really be careful because I can sometimes, like, I do like to push. I also like to be present and, you know, filled with joy and gratitude, but that's a slippery slope, right? For any of us who really want to accomplish some big things, we get on that treadmill. So if someone's out there listening to this and they're like, that's me. I have been chasing on the treadmill. I've been running. I get there and I don't feel fulfilled. Give me a two minute coaching session for this person on what they can do. What can they uh, enact today? What can they put in their skill set? What tool can they use or what kind of practice can they do to start stepping off of that treadmill? Um, I would start by distinguishing between two things that are subtle in nature, but if you understand the distinction between this, it changes the whole game. It's the difference between effort and intention. I'm going to give you a really clear example. You can do the same act whether it's cooking food or getting on the phone with someone, if the intention behind it is one of generosity, gratitude, high level frequency emotions, if the intention behind the act is clear in your mind, the effect of your actions becomes amplified. I can hear in your voice when you pick up the phone that you are coming to that call with gratitude, with positivity, with happiness, and I'm immediately more influenced by what you tell me. You can pick up that same phone and come with, I don't wanna be here. I hate my job. I wish I didn't have to make the, this phone call. And I will hear that in your voice too. And guess what? You spent no less time on the phone with me. You fulfilled all of the requirements of the job that day to pick up the phone and make that call, you know, to connect with you know, the buyer or you know, the manager or your sales team or whatever it is. But because your intention was set to a low vibrational frequency, all of the effort you poured in will be at half of the amount of effect and may even work against you because it left a bitter taste of the intention in the mouth of the people that you spoke to. So if you use the same amount of effort, but shift the intention, the multiplier effect will work for you. That's why it's so important to do what Simon, you have talked about, which is every morning, what are you going into the day with? What is your intention that day? If your intention is to give, to be of service, to attract abundance and to stay in a state of gratitude, everything you touch will multiply in the direction of your energetic force. But by the very same token, if you go into your work with resentment, with burnout, with hopelessness, with sadness, with anger, or fear or guilt or shame, everything you touch will spiral in the direction of your intention. That energetic attunement matters more than the effort you make. So I actually challenge everyone listening, do half of what you would normally do in a day, just change the intention and watch how quickly your reality will change. That's so powerful. It's, it's interesting because I, I, you know, talking about intention, one of the things that I love to coach on is to 
before you have an interaction with somebody, like before we hop on a call together or a podcast interview or a call with a client or a presentation, take a minute, do a little bit of breath work just to make sure that like you are in the right emotional state Raise your frequency by thinking about gratitude or something that puts you in that state. It could be music, whatever puts you in that high frequency, but be intentional about that. And then the two things that I want to drop off is like, and this goes exactly with what you were saying is the intention, but I love to, to ask this question myself. What is it that I want to get out of this interaction? But also what is it do, that I want to give or what is it that I want this other person to receive or get from me? And that, you know, it's, it's interesting because in sales, I always tell like new clients, like, I don't need to worry about my paycheck as long as I put you first. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about is that intention to serve and to give changes everything. But you know, those salespeople, when their intention is I've got to make my, my paycheck, I've got to make money for me rather than serve my clients. I mean, you can do both, but when you start, with the other person and that intention, what you're saying is you can do less work, but have compounded effects from that. And not only that, but like what, what I'm hearing is that that alignment doesn't even make it feel like a grind or a hustle anymore. Right? Absolutely. And that's where the love comes from because the journey is now a direct manifestation of the state you are trying to attract. In oh, other words, so good. If you planned that your money one day would make you happy and you can be in a state of happiness today while you make it, you're already winning. I love that. Hannah, so let's wrap this up and tell me where people can find more of you. Do you have a podcast? Like where can they find you on social media? Let, let's send some people your way. Absolutely. So um, I always encourage people to go to my LinkedIn profile. Um, so it's just my name, Hannah.Danji. And if you just do the backslash, you'll get there. Um, I also, you know, I have my email address and I invite people to reach out to me for a booking one-on-one -on -one calls. Um, you'll find the booking link on LinkedIn. But if you just want to reach me at Hannah at Hannah Danji, that's H-A-N-A-D-H-A-N-J-I.com, you can do that. And if you Google my name, you'll actually see a number of podcasts that I've done before. So that's also a great place to go. Um, I'm launching a collaborative program as well in February. If you're interested in joining that, please reach out to me. Um, it's a combination of teaching you how to trade in the stock market, but also the psychology behind attracting money and finding fulfillment beyond just the wealth accumulation. So how do we make money and happiness come together? Because I think, Simon, we were talking about this earlier. Money and happiness can truly go hand in hand. Yeah, I love that. And that goes really well with my audience because I do talk about abundance and money mindset quite a bit. This is a mindset set slash business and professional podcast. So I think we nailed it. And mindset hackers, like, listen to the value that you just got just in this 45 minutes. Hannah knows her stuff. And it is, she is on point with so much of this. I'm so excited. I hope that we delivered uh, some value to you. Please make sure to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Uh, there's a little five-star button that I would love for you to hit. It just takes about two seconds. And that's either on Spotify or uh, Apple uh, Podcasts. And then please share this with somebody who you know who might benefit from this conversation. If there's somebody that you know that's been uh, in the situation that Hannah or I have been in where we've been on more of the chasing frequency and you want to help them out, please send this episode to them. Hannah, thank you so much for your time. Mindset Hackers, I will catch you on the next episode.